Welcome to the Coach House Beacons. Good morning, everybody. Jamie here. Uh, it is the 9th of December 2020, and we're just coming into the Christmas season. Now, this time of year, we find ourselves bombarded with Christmas-related songs from the, obviously, traditional carols and also the classic Driving Home for Christmas and Jingle Bells. We all, I'm sure, have a favourite song that really gets us in the Christmas mood. But what is the best Christmas song ever written? Is it The Messiah by Handel? Joy to the World, Silent Night, Away in a Manger, Jingle Bells? Apart from the good songs, there are a few odd ones out there too. For me, if it's sung by a chipmunk or a crazy frog, it's pretty bad. But also, how bad is Santa Claus's coming to town? Surely not, I hear you cry, but just bear with me a second. The problem is not with Santa, but with the message of the song. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout. Now... If we sang it in a minor key, or a slightly sinister tone, you better watch out, you better not cry. I feel it's got a bit of a different meaning. But one thing I can say is that God is not like Santa Claus. Thank the Lord. His love is for both the naughty and the nice. You see, songs that touch lives span culture and defy time, and have found a way to marry the perfect melody and rhythm with the right words. Silent Night's one of these. It shows just how the melody and the words seem intimately connected. The rhythm of Jingle Bells is a horse trotting, pulling a sleigh, with bells jingling. You want to take a sip of your hot cider and snuggle down in an oversized chair and listen to the words. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Obviously not sung by me, you understand. I think White Christmas is probably the most popular Christmas song ever. It's a song that touches all our emotional buttons. Like nostalgia and friends and family and hope and peace and optimism. But if you and I were to write the best Christmas song ever written, what message would it be? Christmas is nearly here. The signs are everywhere. There are Christmas songs that are playing on the radio, decorations all over town and presents under the tree. But do you know what the top five signs that Christmas is near are? Well, let me tell you. Number one, there are more pine needles on your carpet than on your tree. Number two, the bank account is smoking, probably along with the turkey and the ham. Number three, home alone has been shown for the 13th time. Number four, a trip to the shops and back is more challenging than climbing Everest. And finally, if you've got small kids, you're having to pull an all-nighter because of their words... Some assembly required is written on a box that's got a toy in it. You see, signs point us to the reality that something significant is getting ready to occur. In the Bible, we have seen that when you place the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongue side by side and compare them, 
the gift of prophecy seems far more valuable for the church because it more clearly communicates God's truth. But the gift of tongues has value too. It has value to God because it allows the speaker to communicate praise and thanksgiving to God and it's value to the church when the message is interpreted because we receive encouragement whenever we hear another praises toward God. The gift of tongues also has value outside the church. It has value for God's plan to bring people into a saving relationship with himself. Tongues are a sign It's like a bright neon flashing billboard that tells people that something out of the ordinary is going on here and they had better check it out. Just like the signs let us know how near Christmas is in the calendar, this sign of tongues told people that something was coming soon and they had better prepare themselves. So let's delve a little deeper. Number one, signs can capture our attention. Usually during the season... Our family, that's Becca and I, and sometimes with the boys, often have some travelling to see relatives. We will head down south, down the M6, and then on to the M25. Soon after hitting the M25, we will begin to see signs for how far it is to Canterbury. Signs for Canterbury always get our attention. They warn us of impending family. If we didn't pay attention to those signs, we would not be able to get where we are going, and thus facing the wrath of the in-laws, whose dinner getting colder on the table will soon be in the dog. If they had one, that is. We need to be the signs. You and I need to be the beacons, if you will, to people who don't know the love of Jesus. Number two, signs can change our direction. That journey that Becca and I take covers a lot of territory. And the opportunity for getting lost is always with us. We know the signs to look for as we go along. And so long as we see them and are willing to change our direction according to what they tell us, then we will make it to our eventual destination. When the angels left the shepherds on that night, they responded with a change of direction. They said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. It's interesting to me that they recognised what the real miracle, the real sign, was on that night. It was not the angels and their angelic choir that captured their attention. It was the promise of a baby. I fear that many of us would have stayed right where we were, looking for another visitation from the angels, rather than being obedient to find God's gift to the world. Because of the sign, these shepherds let go of their own plans for that night and for their lives and did what they had been instructed. They travelled to Bethlehem. They changed their direction. If I could convince you with words, I would. I would tell you that it's worth leaving the wilderness behind to find all that God wants to give to you. The shepherds left their hillside in the wilderness to find the joy and hope that only Jesus brings. They were willing to allow God to redirect their lives for the rest of their lives. From that moment on, they were walking a different pathway with a different destination. Now, number three, signs can get us to listen. Listening is important. For the shepherds out on that hillside, listening meant hearing the greatest news that has ever been told. 
they heard the angel say, Today in the town of David a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's Luke 2. And then they went to find that baby in the manger and they listened to the words that Mary and Joseph told them. Words about the angel's visit to each of them and what the angel had told them would be the course and purpose of this child's life. The people in Jerusalem who were gathered for Pentecost, they listened too. It was probably harder for them to hear because there were so many distractions. It was a holiday, all in all, a celebration much like Christmas. The crowds, the commotion, the vendors selling their goods. Above all that, they heard people speaking in their own language and that captured their attention. They thought at first that the 120 were either madmen or drunk. They were getting ready to dismiss this whole thing and walk away, but then they heard Peter stand up and interpret what was going on. He gave the meaning of the sign that they had heard. The sign had gotten their attention and had brought them to a point where they were willing to listen. But it was the clear words of Peter that they needed to hear. And finally, number four, signs can bring us into the presence of God. In this passage from Corinthians, Paul says that when a person finally starts to listen to the words that God is saying to him, some dramatic changes start to happen in his life. He will be fully persuaded that he is a sinner convinced by all. The story that almost every parent tells their children is that they are not good then Santa's not going to like them and that he's not going to give them any presents. This same theory has worked its way onto our view of God. A small boy was once writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents he badly wanted. I've been good for six months now, he wrote. But after a moment's reflection, he crossed out six months and wrote three. And after a pause and a think, that was crossed out too. And he put two weeks. There was another pause and he crossed that out too. He got up from the table and went over to the little manger scene that had the figures of Mary and Joseph on it. He picked up the figure of Mary and went back to his writing and started again. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. You see, that boy recognised the fact that Peter was trying to convey to that crowd in Jerusalem at Pentecost and the same realisation that will happen in any church whenever the truth is declared in an understandable language. We are all sinners. We have done things that are wrong. We don't have to be good to get God to like us. God doesn't love or welcome us on the basis of our goodness, because none of us are good. We have all failed to measure up to the perfect standard that God has set The events that happened on a hillside just outside of Bethlehem resulted in shepherds coming into the presence of God. They bowed at the manger of Jesus. The events that happened in Jerusalem brought the presence of the Holy Spirit into the people that were there on that day. Peter promised the people that responded in repentance that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts 2. When a church is healthy, God's Spirit is present in power which results in the conviction, confessing and forsaking of sin. And that becomes the greatest sign to an unbelieving world that something is really going on 
and that these Christians really have something and we need to go and see it for ourselves. See, a changed life will be a sign that no one can shut out and that no one can ignore. Coach House Beacons, the Coach House Church Daily Devotional. To find out more, join us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website at www.coachhousechurch.org.